Welcome back guys to another episode of the Health Mastery Show. In today's episode I have on with me Dr. Carl Nadolsky. Now Dr. Nadolsky has so many letters and certifications after his name that I can't even get in enough time to mention them all but at the moment he is a clinical endocrinologist for Spectrum Health Medical Group in Grand Rapids. He's an assistant clinical professor of medicine for Michigan State University. He holds a board certification on internal medicine, diabetes, endocrinology, and metabolism, and obesity medicine, and is currently serving as the chair of American Association of Clinical, clinical Endocrinologists Obesity Disease State Network. Carl has also competed at collegiate level NCAA Division One wrestling, so that's pretty much the highest level of amateur wrestling you can compete at in America. He's also competed once, I believe, in bodybuilding. And today we talk all about hormones. So, can you manipulate your hormones? Is it something that it's worthwhile doing? We talk a little bit about obesity and how that can affect your hormones in a negative way and how losing weight can affect it in a positive way. We also touch a little bit on steroids and how they can negatively impact your overall health. But it was a definitely a learning conversation for me or I took a lot of I took a lot away from this conversation so hopefully you will too and if you do enjoy these episodes please do leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're on whether that's YouTube leave a comment a like subscribe if it's on Apple Podcasts or iTunes please do leave a rating and review the algorithm does push it up and it helps me get on more and better guests each time but without further ado I want to welcome on Dr. Carl Nadolsky. All right thanks for having me. So, so Carl, um, or Doctor Carl Nadolsky, what what do you prefer to be called? Oh, that's whatever, whatever you feel comfortable. Okay, is fine. <laughs> no worries. I I call you Carl. So, so, so Carl, can you explain to me a little bit about your day to day work or what you do on a day to day basis as as a doctor? Yeah, so I am a clinical endocrinologist and also have a specialty in obesity medicine. So most of my days are working in the clinic uh, with patients referred to us for a variety of hormone dysfunction things or obesity and obesity complications like diabetes, sleep apnea, metabolic syndrome, lipid problems. Um, But we see a full range of uh, people with actual clinical hormone issues um, from pituitary, hypothalamic pituitary disorders, and that could include, you know, prolactin issues, growth hormone, uh, sex steroid issues, um, adrenal problems, thyroid problems. Um, We do thyroid cancers. Um, also bone health, osteoporosis, vitamin D, calcium metabolism. Um, but obviously my, my big thing is obesity, diabetes, lipids, that cardiometabolic health stuff. Okay, cool. So the majority of the people that you would be dealing with on a, a day-to-day basis would be, say, over, overweight or obese patients? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the majority. But, um, you know, like I said, all those other uh, disorders could be um, in anybody from a, a young adult to the very elderly, uh, they could have, you know, thyroid problems. They could be very, very thin from hyperthyroidism um, or even, uh, you know, losing weight uh, dramatically from adrenal insufficiency, um, so to speak. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a pretty wide range of potential. But, yeah, the majority of my patients do uh, struggle with obesity um, and, uh, and its complications. <clears throat> so so what do you see with regards to um i know i've read some meta-analysis by i think it was Naud and colleagues 2014 meta-analysis looking at uh, a whole host of different studies or, or research on 
um, you know, health factors and obesity related diseases. And it, it seemed to conclude that losing body fat or losing weight in general will elicit the, the best response in terms of the reduction of those, uh, you know, health problems. Would you tend to agree with that in terms of what you see from your day to day work? Yeah, yeah. I think the, the you know, the evidence supports, um, uh, you know, obesity as a disease. Uh, you know, we really want to grade the severity of the disease based upon the complications. So, uh, like you said, it's it's really what's on the inside that counts, right? So, I don't personally care as a doctor what people's weight is. I care about what the risk of that that excess fat weight is doing to them. Um, so, so if they have prediabetes or diabetes, we know that uh, you know five to seven percent weight loss is really good for diabetes prevention. You start getting over 10% weight loss, we start improving glycemic control and other outcomes and we and more than that and we start getting people, you know, off of their medications with um, with really good outcomes, um, maybe even cardiovascular outcomes, although that's been difficult to prove, but um, uh, the more res- you respond with the actual weight loss and, and keep it off, the better. On the other hand, um, we also have, you know, plenty of data to show that even if you do the things that are healthy and and theoretically would help you lose weight, even if you don't lose a lot of weight, you're improving your health. Um, so that that disease of the obesity can get better, even if you don't actually lose a lot of fat. Although you know the fat loss will help, generally speaking. So, would you uh, subscribe to the idea of uh, health at every size, or do you feel that the the weight <laughs> loss? Exactly. Yeah, not not exactly, but um, but that's but there there's some truth to that, which is why it gets debated. Um, so if you know head to head, if the same person with the same amount of obesity at, or adiposity um, is you know eating, let's say, a more Mediterranean pattern and and is exercising you know really well with aerobic and and uh, resistance training, and they're very fit they are going to be better off even if they don't actually lose weight. I mean, they're going to improve their body composition, right? So that's part of how this works. But um, but even if they don't do that to a great extent, they are going to have better outcomes for diabetes, heart disease, um, et cetera, um, than they would if they didn't. However, if they lose the weight, the excess fat, they will have even better outcomes. So we know that the metabolically healthy obesity is a probably transient state, especially if it's, you know, abdominal obesity where the, the adipose, um, the triglycerides are in the liver, the muscle, um, the fatty acids are being released, a little bit of fat gets in the pancreas, which is part of the pathophysiology of diabetes. Um, so, so weight loss is very important, and we've, and we've really proven that. But on, on the spectrum, certainly fitness and uh, healthy eating matters even without weight loss but uh, but we do want to help people lose weight and so we, we do focus on that too okay so it is a little bit reductionist to say that it's only weight loss that will will cause right. the, the health benefits and, right. and that even a small amount even if the individual is still obese by actually losing a percentage of the body weight five to seven or, or even beyond that will actually start to have the, you know, the those health benefits yeah absolutely and and we have the evidence to show that and which is also why we try to give people reasonable goals so you know i see a patient with type 2 diabetes and they and the person weighs 300 pounds we talk about 10% weight loss being 30 pounds, 15% being 45 pounds, that doesn't sound like a lot. That might not be what that person wants. That person might want to be 185 pounds 
but that's not necessarily the clinical goal again to get to the to the key of it's what's on the inside that counts so i want them to be healthy and improve their outcomes um i have and i always tell people i'm i, I want you to be happy with yourselves too so i'm going to help you to do everything we can to you know get you to where you want to be but you don't have to be on the cover of a magazine um, to be to have healthy outcomes yeah that, that, that's quite intriguing so if, if somebody was let's say morbidly obese or they, they're extremely obese if they lost that say 15 percent of their body mm -hmm. weight and even though they'd still be you know clinically obese or right. objectively um would they then would they reap all the benefits of of someone who's leaner or would they actually still need to at a point where they reach a, a threshold or um, a blocking point where they actually need to um you know keep keep losing more weight because of the maybe the negative effects would, would come back or the, the the health implications yeah i mean potentially and everyone's going to be different but it, it kind of gets back to a, like what i said if, if they're able to maintain more than that you know 10 15 or more percent weight loss and they're doing it with the appropriate you know, fitness and, and a diet, they're going to have great outcomes. And, 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 and we really do have some studies that show that it almost gets to um, the point of not having the disease of the obesity, but there, it's a chronic progressive recurrent disease. So it's going to keep fighting. And that gets to one of your other questions, I think, on that whole set point theory thing. But um, the body, the biology does work against the patient. So they do have to keep fighting it to maintain that and the health benefits. So um, will that person be the same as somebody who never had obesity has been fit and has good genetics their whole life? No, probably not. But, um, but they're going to reap huge rewards. Yeah. And, and we did talk a bit, a little bit off air about that, the, the whole theory of a body fat set point. And it's quite, I suppose, close to me at the moment because I'm dieting for a bodybuilding show and I suppose <laughs> I'm reaching my, my lower end of my body fat set point And, um, mm -hmm. I know that just from from how I feel and having gotten tests on before that you know, that's not necessarily healthy as you get leaner where you start to have <laughs> right. reduction in testosterone and sure. you know reduction in leptin all of the all of the things reduction mm -hmm. in thyroid hormones but if you go the opposite direction is that the same case um because I, I don't know if it, I you know I have a bit of a bias as kind of like a physique orientated mm -hmm. mind where I, I don't really look at too much into the the obesity studies that much or or how it impacts um, myself because i've never actually been there so obviously mm -hmm. looking at more of the sports performance um you know um research and stuff but as someone gets say heavier or closer to their high end of their bo body fat set point and i know it is easier because of the environment that we live in and mm -hmm. you know the the how you know liberal food is and, and the, kind of, the kind of lifestyle that people have nowadays but is there a point that you feel that maybe even before obesity that we start to see these reductions in testosterone reductions in, oh, sure. in thyroid hormones. <clears throat> so probably the most common cause of hypogonadism that I see is what I would coin a functional hypogonadism where there's not a, a hypothalamic or pituitary injury or the testicles aren't failing. It's, it's mostly due. There's a, there's something called an obesity associated secondary hypogonadism. Um, and, and it is kind of the opposite of what you were talking about, because um, there's a functional hypogonadism that happens in, say, lean athletes, uh, natural bodybuilders, where the fat gets so low and um, the leptin goes low and it, it's not affecting the kiss. You know, it's a very complicated thing, but, um, but it's, it's kind of a normal response um, physiology. Well, in the obesity associated secondary hypogonadism, which is a functional thing. It's again very complex. So um, 
you know, you get this altered um, hypothalamic pituitary axis um, uh, causing the testosterone to go down, um, but it's affected by sleep apnea oftentimes. So sleep apnea is a pretty common cause of this functional hypogonadism and is a very important thing to discuss. By the way, sleep is huge for, um, you know, just functional testosterone um, axis. Uh, sleep's a big deal for everyone and everything. Um, but there's also increased uh, cortisol and aromatase leading to estrogen in, in the fat cells, which then goes back and negatively affects that whole um, hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis. Um, the increased inflammation from the from the adipose tissue, especially the, the intra-abdominal adipose tissue. And that's what we talk a lot about with type 2 diabetes, but it's all, it's all affecting that same axis. And so um, we know that with those patients, um, weight loss, uh, especially, you know, a lot of the uh, studies we have are on bariatric surgery, but weight loss can resolve that hypogonadism. Um, but, but weight loss from caloric restriction, um, fitness, um, and, and probably some medications. Um, on the other hand, if, if truly, truly hypogonadal, and I'll try to explain that in a minute, um, but it does seem like um, possibly testosterone replacement therapy or perhaps some of the other ways we have for improving that axis maybe even does help. So there was um, a study recently published uh, it's not a randomized trial, but it was a decent trial looking at um, patients who were uh, had obesity and prediabetes and were diagnosed with hypogonadism. And some of them chose to go on testosterone replacement therapy and some chose not to. Well, the ones who chose to go on it had better outcomes, essentially diabetes prevention, et cetera. Now, some of that's a you know, a, a selection bias, meaning, you know, there are certain people who decided to go on it, they might be more motivated, etc. But, but it's uh, something to think about. And, and that's seems to be somewhat consistent with the evidence. Now, to my point of, did they really have hypogonadism, when you have obesity and insulin resistance, etc. Um, you, you can make your total testosterone look low without your actual free testosterone being low, because it, it decreases binding proteins. Um, and so, so a lot of times we get people, I just had a guy yesterday who was referred to me for low testosterone. He definitely, if he has it, he has obesity associated hypogonadism, but he has zero symptoms of hypogonadism and, and the symptoms really are critical. And so then um, when I looked at somebody did measure a free testosterone, which I don't always trust the measured one, but it was like just into like what I would call a normal range. Um, and so I'm going to, after he, we work on his weight loss, I'm going to recheck and I'm going to actually calculate the free testosterone and I almost guarantee it'll be normal. I mean, cause he has no symptoms other than erectile dysfunction, which is more of a blood flow issue, not, uh, not a hypogonadal issue usually. Sure. And there's so many topics that you talked on there that, uh, we could lead in so many different segues. But... Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I can, I can <laughs> no, go off on no, tangents. No, I, th I think we could talk for, for hours, but um with, with regard to the i think a lot of the research that that is um is done is obviously in obese patients purely for you know for looking at treatments or mm -hmm. or ways that we can prevent that but is there is there a point and this is something that i've always kind of struggled to understand is, is there a point in your level of body fat or increasing body fat where we actually start to see noticeable changes in 
uh, these negative outcomes so it's not just black or white where you're either lean or you're obese does that slowly start to come on because obesity obviously at some point was made at an objective level and say okay now you're obese maybe you don't have diabetes but this is the the body fat percentage for obese i think it was 25 percent for men um well but is there yeah i mean we yeah i i wouldn't to be honest in in most clinical cases we don't <clears throat> we don't use body fat percent because um we just can evaluate someone clinically. You know, we use BMI to help us kind of in a population guidance. And, and those studies are really the most robust, even though BMI doesn't do well for those of us who are really muscular and lean. Um, but that's just more of a clinical decision. But, um, but they've, you know, they've done enough studies where we can kind of see where the risk um, in a population goes up. But it really is an individual thing. Um, so that's it. So it's hard to answer your question, like at what point for a given individual, does it start to go up? But that's why, you know, we use BMI a little bit. We use waist circumference. So we know a higher waist circumference. Um, and when we can nitpick that a, a little bit, um, you know, and, and that depends on ethnicity and genetics too. Um, but that's, that's where we really see um, some of the, some of the increased in, in risk. And, and, and it really is kind of an individual thing. So you got to be able to take let, let's say for example a, a um, somebody who doesn't have a lot of muscle and they might not weigh much their bmi might be 25 but maybe they're older and they actually have abdominal obesity um, by waist circumference maybe it's a you know let's say a female with over 80 centimeter waist circumference or, or a male with over 94 centimeters um, and uh, but they're they're kind of skinny you know maybe the in the fitness world we'd call it skinny fat sort of thing hmm. um, and that's actually probably the worst risk of uh cardiometabolic disease to be honest sure yeah and I, i've been doing a bit of research into that myself over over the last couple of months and it seems like and it may not be the only cause but high levels of glucocorticoids or high levels of, of cortisol which, which would be associated with stress that it, it for some reason and i can't really seem to find a determining factor that body fat seems to just deposit more so even though body fat percentage overall might remain the same mm-hmm. you just get more of these uh, body fat uh, adipocytes um around the the visceral uh, area or around the around the gut like you said which seems yeah. to be a little bit more dangerous are you able to yeah. uh, go into that a little bit or explain uh, kind of what what is going on well so yeah basically that abdominal obesity that that visceral fat that uh is is really definitely worse um the it, it's associated with what some call an adiposeopathy or a, or a sick fat sort of situation. So our peripheral healthy fat cells, um, you know, a lot of people don't like those, but um, they they actually are are somewhat healthy. You know, the the fat that you know, kind of that pear shaped uh, female uh, phenotype a little bit mm. more, where it's around the butt and the thighs. Um, those those fat cells function appropriately as storage, but when we get more fat around our, you know, in, in our viscera, in our, in our abdomen, around our organs, and, and the triglycerides then get in our liver, um, the fatty acids are released more in our, in our bloodstream, the triglycerides are in our muscle cells, which causes them to not work that well, um, and, and then even some gets in our pancreas, and this gets into like type 2 diabetes pathophysiology and, um, you know, and some things that we don't know perfectly, <clears throat> but, um, but overall, that whole inflammatory process um, leads to those healthy fat cells not working, um, which leads to more uh, um, inflammation and, and fatty acid release. 
Um, and then that's what leads to, you know, insulin resistance and, and ultimately um, pancreatic failure and type 2 diabetes. So um, it, it's, you know, it's pretty complicated, but, um, but then it ends up just affecting the whole, just the whole system. Um, you know, you get the insulin resistance in the liver, the muscle, um, you know, the adipose tissue that's not working is, is increasing um, lipolysis and fatty acids. Then the brain is kind of working against you. Um, the kidneys are working against you. The intestine hormones aren't working for you like they're supposed to. Um, you know, they, we talk about the gut microbiome gets affected, you know, this whole thing. And, and that's, that's an advanced uh, thought, too. Everyone's like, oh, the gut mi microbiome is important. It's like, well, yeah, it is. Um, we're not exactly sure what to do about it right now, but, it's, but it definitely is, is, is a role. And then, and then, so say type 2 diabetes, then ultimately the pancreas fails. Um, yeah. So that's so that's sort of the you know a, a little bit of a nutshell, but it's um, yeah it's a pretty complicated thing. Yeah, it seems like the t two areas that people jump to conclusions on when they don't really know what's going on, but they want to have a an answer is the your hormones and then your gut, and they try to come up with these crazy protocols to try to manipulate the, the both of them. Yeah. So um, you kind of touched on it there a little bit, but like for example let's say this the skinny fat i don't know what you would call that uh, clinically but um somebody who is like not, not <laughs> so so clinically i would call it sarcopenic yeah. obesity okay sarcopenic obesity yeah yeah uh, you wouldn't you're not going to tell somebody that they're skinny fat right but yeah but um but it, it is i suppose quite common um you'd, you'd often see somebody who let's say a guy who's actually doesn't look like he has that much weight on him or in terms of body mm -hmm. fat but maybe he takes his shirt off and it, he has like a, a quite a large gut and um, you you said it obviously it's a very complicated um scenario and there's a lot of different things going on but um is cortisol or is stress related uh obesity or uh, sarcopenic obesity um you know a real thing so you're asking is cortisol actually involved basically yeah That's so so, so can, sure. can higher levels of cortisol in in otherwise let's say healthy body weight individuals lead to these issues with you know decreased insulin sensitivity and then ultimately sure. you know pre-diabetes so so yeah so just for a baseline for people um real hypercortisolism either from the pituitary stimulating the adrenals, which is called Cushing's disease, or from an adrenal nodule, <clears throat> or very rarely um, like a, a, a cancer somewhere else causing that ACTH to, to stimulate cortisol, uh, called all that called Cushing's syndrome, <clears throat> you know, is very bad um, for, for our body. And the most common cause of it is um, medical-induced Cushing syndrome. Uh, people get it put on uh, glucocorticoids, prednisone, dexamethasone, um, for whatever reason, inflammatory disease or, or something. Um, and so it is mostly a catabolic hormone. You know, it's, it's bad for the muscle, basically. So it's, it's breaking down muscle, um, but it increases the triglyceride in the muscle. It, it increases the sugar levels, so thus increasing the insulin resistance. It, it deposits fat more in the viscera, so going to that visceral um, obesity we talked about, um, and uh, it's just like everything that's bad and, and kind of leads to its own version of that sort of skinny fat or sarcopenic obesity. I mean, it's like that hormone does it. So in a, in a normal person without that severe disease, so without medications causing it, without a pituitary tumor, without an adrenal tumor that's causing Cushing syndrome, um, 
you know, there is still this physiologic state of, you know, some people have a little bit more cortisol from stress, um, obesity. So I think I told you that um, the, the fat cells um, that we have actually um, have an enzyme that turns the inactive cortisone into cortisol. So you tend to have a little bit higher physiologic cortisol um, in obesity anyway. So it's, it's, it's another factor that's working against patients. Um, as some other things even cause what we call a pseudo uh, Cushing syndrome, um, where, you know, like alcohol, like alcoholism can cause just a sort of a baseline high uh, cortisol level. Um, and actually, um, just like we, I talked about how uh, obesity hypogonadism or low testosterone is probably the most common thing I see. But on the other hand, you know, really thin, um, almost too lean or you know, starvation or anorexia can cause low testosterone on the other end, but that actually can also cause elevated cortisol levels. So um, people with anorexia um, have elevated baseline, uh, you know, daily cortisol production. Um, so that, so yeah, that's, all those things do are true and affect it. And um, so that's why, you know, one of the reasons why people say, okay, with weight and, and everything, we got to, Try to help people reduce their stress, get enough sleep, um, and uh, and that sort of thing. But there's you know there's no we're not going to give any medicine uh, to people without a, a true patho pathology um, to try to lower their cortisol levels. We just try to do it with lifestyle. <clears throat> yeah, and I know that you spent a couple of years as a, as a pretty high uh, NCA wrestler, and you probably got a couple of injuries back then, and. Uh, so, so would then you disagree with the usage of uh, cortisone injections for for injuries? Do you think that that's actually harmful in terms of potentially leading to, to muscle wastage or even uh, oh, sure. diabetes? <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, amazingly. So in my career, my real career, I actually never, I think maybe I got a, a glucocorticoid injection when I was a senior because of a I was on vacation and I had like one of those sun induced uh, allergic rashes. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> so I got, I remember, I remember that it was, it was like horrible. sunstroke. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Not sunstroke. Well, anyways, it was a rash and it was an allergic thing. The guy, I got a steroid injection. That was crazy. I never got one for an injury in my real career. <clears throat> Interestingly, um, probably because of my career and some genetics, I now have a really bad arthritic left hip with a with a torn labrum and so they tried to they did inject it with steroids a couple months ago and i was really um as an endocrinologist i was really hesitant to do that because i know the adverse effects of those um but i tried it to see if it would help um which it didn't but um, but anyways we do have patients who get um sort of that cushing syndrome again medically induced from steroid injections absolutely so that's that counts sure thing and and inhaled steroids that people use for asthma it, it can add up. It can definitely accumulate um, and and cause those adverse effects. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do those. So please, anybody listening, don't <laughs> stop the steroids that your doctor told you to take. I'm just saying it, it can happen. And some medications, combinations can cause a decreased metabolism of them. So, um, you know, it's there's like a classic board question for us where, you know, it's somebody who's been on, uh, you know, in, some inhaled uh, steroid and maybe they have HIV and they're taking a certain medication that decreases it and, and they have what appears to be like Cushing syndrome clinically. But then what they actually also have is they have adrenal insufficiency because they're, they've been taking essentially high dose steroids or at least, 
um, it's been metabolized or not metabolized so that they suppress their own adrenal axis. So not only do they have uh, medically induced or iatrogenic Cushing's, but now they have adrenal insufficiency too. Yeah, so I so guess everything is it. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, everything is a bit of a trade-off. You know, you kind of kind of pick your problems. You know, yeah. you, you either have a <clears throat> severe asthma or you potentially have right. higher higher cortisol levels. Yeah, and so you just um, got to do the best you can. Um, you know, and and we always we talk about steroid sparing therapy. We always want people to use the least amount necessary to to get the benefits over the risks. That's all. Yeah, and uh, although these are different type of steroids, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, what your thoughts are, or you know, what the, what are the negative impacts, or are the negative impacts uh, overstated of actual exogenous steroids for for muscle building? Because I, I know it's in the U.S. it's illegal in in Ireland here, and in, in Europe it's not actually necessarily there. It's a bit gray area, but the 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 use of it is pretty high especially with um i suppose the rise of social media and, and bodybuilding and all these great bodies people kind of turn to steroids for you know for the quick fix or they they think that it's going to help them build muscle well will help them build muscle faster but they don't necessarily always uh, understand the the negative impacts you, i mean you get these people um you know telling you about it but but often they don't have a really informed view of what you might might have based off of your experience and um, but also your insight as somebody who is you know a lifter uh, a weightlifter somebody's wrestled and you have mm-hmm. a pretty good physique so um yeah. you know what what are your <clears throat> thoughts on that because I, i'm sure you've come across it in your in your work and also sure. in outside of work yeah. I, yeah. In fact, I just had a patient the other day who came to me for fertility because he has uh, hypogonadism because he used some anabolic steroids for like only 16 weeks when he was 17 years old. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I, and, and people might know my younger brother, Spencer, who's also a family practice doc and is, has a big social media following. I mean, we've we've been you know working out since we were little kids, eating well, you know, wrestled in college, played football, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, so we're kind of used to being around other somewhat elite athletes with physiques that are, you know, maybe above average. Um, and, uh, but we've always been very, you know, healthy and kind of anti-drug and we don't like taking medicines that we don't need to. And so we've always been anti-anabolic steroid and have always recommended it. Our dad was a science teacher or both of our parents were teachers. So we were very into you know, the healthy living of, of sports and, and athletics. And to be honest, my personal opinion, no offense to anybody, but I, you know, when it's done for sports, I, it's cheating in my opinion. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. People do it. And we've been accused of falsely accused of taking steroids our whole lives, despite the very stable, you know, physiques we have and, um, and healthy uh, in, internal, you know, health and, um, and, and, you uh, really no evidence of ever doing it, but uh, that's a whole nother uh, can of worms. <clears throat> so part of the reason we never would do it um, is one, I'm not exactly sure why, uh, you know, unless it's like a professional bodybuilder where for whatever reason, that's like part of their sport to be at that level. Um, why people would, you know, feel like it's worth taking medicine that you don't really know the, the adverse effects and we, and there are adverse effects um, just to in, increase muscle growth. Um, we want muscle. Muscle is healthy if you do it in a, in a healthy way. Um, but, you know, there's an article um, that I, I just pulled up, um, a review article on, um, you know, helping uh, young men with anabolic uh, 
steroid-induced uh, hypogonadism and fertility, and it actually has a um, a little table of what kind of the usual steroid <clears throat> um, anabolic steroid um, regimens can be, and it just blows my mind how much people are are taking according to this. Um, so. You know, a, a kind of a usual, like for someone who actually has hypogonadism and we give testosterone replacement therapy, a very average um, amount of something called testosterone cypionate, which is an injection. We don't, preferably, I don't even like the injections because they're not stable and they're not very physiologic, but it's about 100 milligrams a week. Well, this is talking about, and you might even know uh, some of the, what, what people do, um, but you know, this is talking about starting with 500 a week, going to 750 a week, and then a thousand a week for several weeks. That's a ton. And then they start, they talk about adding the decadurabolin um, anabolic um, with some Dianabol and then, you know, all this crazy stuff. And, and it's just like, I, I, it blows my mind um, that they would do that when um, the risks of that high amount of testosterone just so far outweigh what I could ever imagine the benefits um, so, so one thing I'd be really worried about, um, with that is, um, you know, so just even testosterone replacement in general, we worry about something called polycythemia, which is essentially just increased blood cell production. Um, it's actually why, um, testosterone replacement therapy is good for those with hypogonadism who have anemia because it actually helps improve their, their blood cell. But when you, uh, when you have too much of that, that can increase risks, um, you know, cardiocirculatory risks, um, you know, maybe, maybe blood clots. There's some concern of that, um, strokes, et cetera. Um, you know, you can kind of think of it as making your blood thicker. That doesn't sound very good, uh, to me. Um, hmm. but then, you know, it's also not good for our lipid metabolism. So it tends to cause a more harmful, uh, sort of, uh, cholesterol, um, aspect, um, you know, which increases our cardiovascular risk, probably. Um, it's, you know, there, there, there can be some like direct uh, cardiotoxicity or harms to the heart, it, it seems like. Um, I've definitely seen in my practice, uh, especially when I was a resident, I, I remember there was a guy um, and he was admitted, he was a Marine, I was in the, in the military, and, and he, was a, he was using steroids and he had heart failure. And there was no reason that he should have had heart failure. And he was in his 20s. Um, and so that's a concern. Um, obviously, you know, just other aspects like, you know, they get acne, probably hair growth where they don't want it, um, testicular shrinkage, um, potential infertility, like, like I was talking about. Like I have a, a patient the other day who came in for that. Um, some of this can be reversed, you know, when you stop it and we can do some other things to help, help uh, patients recover. But it's, it's really just there. I would, I have always been adamant that I would tell people, athletes, young kids, natural bodybuilders, just do what's good for your body. There's why, like it, you know, fitness should be healthy. Um, so why would we start taking drugs, um, especially at levels that are unhealthy, uh, just to, just to have bigger muscles? I mean, you know, I know people are always going to try to cheat in sports kind of thing. And so, you know, we got to, you know, keep an eye on that. But, um, but, but I really don't think people should, um, risk their health just for whatever benefits they think they're going to get. Um, that's, that's my soapbox on that. Yeah. And, and Tamir, to the, what, what you said there, I, I did some research 
myself not so long ago and looking at you know i think the 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 range that they studied for uh hrt was something like you said 100 to 125 milligrams and didn't seem to have too severe negative consequences in the short term at least Mm -hmm. but like you said people are when they do steroid cycle for like bodybuilding or or for just for for aesthetics quote unquote and they're taking you know not just testosterone or or five times the dose but also these other things that are are not even made for humans and and just we don't have any research on it at all and um i I think some of the the research showed that there was an increase in the the left ventricle within the heart Mm -hmm. growth of that because the heart itself is a a muscle and and some of the bodybuilders that have have died um their heart had been something like you know 50 to 100 percent larger than the what the average heart should weigh yeah and so Mm -hmm yeah yeah i think on a, an objective level it is um you know it is obviously uh, not ideal or n- not a, a good idea to take them but i think speaking as a as a young man i think it's more emotional guys that they, they often feel pressured or they feel like you know w- with the rise of I suppose social media and bodies that they think that it's probably gonna bring them you know a better life not in terms of just physically having bigger biceps but more more confidence or get, yeah. getting better women or whatever it means and, yeah, I mean, and I you know so. yeah so I, I guess the- yeah and i mean it's it's ironic i, I mean because <laughs> then you also have the whole dad bod thing and i'm like oh man i guess the new <laughs> do i have yeah, to yeah. do i have to have a dad bod to be, be more <laughs> popular i don't know it's <laughs> the opposite yeah I, I guess it's just a uh, you know based off of your uh yeah, and your your biases and what what you believe to be true or your yeah. your circle of influence um but, but beyond that i suppose um w- with regard to then i suppose hormones for say building muscle or optimal body composition within the physiological range so what we can uh, do naturally um, it, you, you talked a little bit about some of the lifestyle factors that we can mm-hmm. um manipulate or take control of ourselves and and what are those things that and i suppose you probably bring this into your into your practice as a as a doctor on a daily basis because you, you talked about trying to get people off their meds and mm-hmm. and trying to, to get them yeah. to improve habits what, what are the main things that you would look at doing and, and do you have any specific recommendations around you know quantities of, of sleep or or certain even even certain types of foods um, yeah. that you would you know advise for people yeah certainly so i think uh, one of the first things you mentioned was you know does the level um, within kind of the normal range matter that much? And so this is a really hard question because some of the studies we have would maybe suggest that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, recently there's been a lot of debate about the, um, you know, the track, the female track stars who have higher levels of testosterone because they have some, um, uh, that, this gets into other <laughs> endocrine issues, but yeah, they, yeah. they have, you know, some genetic causes of, um, of higher testosterone levels and and there tends to be a correlation with some uh performance and there's there's some of that in males um but it's real it's real hard to um delineate that um because you know really for overall within kind of the normal range that's been studied um there's really just individual variability um each guy you know at a healthy level um as long as everything's intact seems to just be different in all honesty um and um so you know as far as nitpicking worrying about your levels i I don't first of all people should not check their testosterone in my opinion unless they're doing it for an academic purpose um or if they really have symptoms of low libido they're uh along with you know lethargy and you know maybe erectile dysfunction but they're losing muscle they have testicular changes all that kind of stuff um, to be honest, I would just not worry about it. And I would do the things that we're about to talk about for just 
keeping your body optimal. And um, yeah, and I, I do think sleep is, is really the unsung hero. So first of all, if you have obesity or you know, potentially other issues with, um, you know, your neck, even neck size, um, unfortunately for those of us with big muscular necks, um, and, uh, you know, tonsils and all this stuff. If you snore, if there's a chance you have sleep apnea, if you, if you wake up, not refreshed, you feel like you're falling asleep during the day, um, then, then you need to get checked for sleep apnea. Um, and that's a, that's a big deal and causes, you know, true, you know, hypogonadism and even just poor sleep, um, uh, you know, not getting enough sleep. So we have patients that just don't get enough sleep because they got stuff going on. They're busy. They're, they got kids. They're staying up too late watching TV. And then they get up early because they have to work. Um, that tends to not be good for all sorts of our, of our hormones, um, including guys' testosterone levels. Um, and that can, you know, actually cause some real problems in addition to just feeling like garbage. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then sleep hygiene factors. So, uh, you know, having that goal of seven to nine hours of sleep, but that can be pretty individualized. You know, we have studies that say, oh, you know, seven and a half is right. More than eight is right. More than nine is bad, that kind of thing. But, you know, somewhere in there is appropriate. Um, and, and probably an individual can kind of figure that out where, where he or she feels best. Um, but then, uh, then how do you get to that point? Well, um, you know, having a somewhat regular bedtime, um, you know, is appropriate not looking at all the, the blue light screens that we have, you know, we have our computers and our, and our tablets and our phones and the TV. And that's, you know, that gets into some areas that aren't necessarily my expertise, but I always tell patients, ah, it's messing with your rods and cones and it's causing your circadian rhythm to be all screwed up and you're not sleeping well. Um, that's kind of the, the basics of that. <clears throat> um, and then people drink caffeine too late in the day and then they don't sleep well. Um, you know, having a dark room is appropriate. Some what they call ambient noise with a fan is good. So, so I personally try to do all that stuff. Um, I probably do watch TV up until my bedtime a little bit, but, um, but I don't have it in my room. Um, you know, we go to the room and, and, and go to bed. Uh, the, the lights are off, the fans on. Um, I don't stay up late even on the weekends, generally speaking, um, generally have a, a normal bedtime and, and I try to get over seven hours of sleep, for sure. I'm, I'm pretty anal about my sleep because I do think it's how important it is. Um, and so, yeah. Do you have any specific uh, recommendations for for food intake, even within, let's say, an isocaloric diet where calories are, are the same? And do you, do you think that certain foods can um, manipulate your hormones for, for the better? Like certain types of fats we, we often hear, but we don't really know with the research if, if there's too low a fat intake, if there's a right. certain a saturated fat intake. And, and some people even go way too far with that. And, yeah. you know, we can have some LDL issues when, when that gets too high, but yeah. it's been quite popular with the butter coffee and stuff. And, <laughs> oh, but, you gosh. know, uh, yeah. Oh my God. If you, yeah, if you Google, um, our last name, Nadolski and bulletproof coffee, you'll see our opinions on that stuff. But, um, hmm. uh, so <clears throat> I, yeah, I think there is, um, although it's, it's hard to say. So I think one thing you, you noted was the, the isocaloric sort of thing, because anytime we're too restrictive, um, it's going to be a problem. So, you know, as a natural bodybuilder and, and me as a, a wrestler and stuff, um, we know that, a really restrictive diet in any which way and becoming very lean is going to cause, you know, everything to kind of shut down physiologically. Um, the testosterone is going to go low. We even get um, what we would call sort of a sick euthyroid uh, sort of thing going on, which is not, again, pathology, but it's sort of a normal response. The thyroid levels just all kind of go down. Um, 
but that's okay uh, to some degree. People think it's a problem and that gets into the whole, you know, some of that set point theory and people call it metabolic damage, but it's actually just normal physiology, to be honest. Um, but uh, so an isocaloric diet, not being too restrictive is important no matter what. Uh, and I do think that overall quality, um, I think if we dug through all the studies and all that stuff, it seems to support you know, say appropriate testosterone health. So, um, you know, more vegetables, good, appropriate lean protein sources, um, you know, and, and even, even vegans, you know, if they do it right, they obviously still have healthy testosterone levels because uh, I'm sure you've seen vegan bodybuilders, you know, they, they do okay. It, it might take some more effort, I think, but, um, uh, but you know, they're, they're doing okay. Um, but they're eating pretty, really good diets overall. They're, they're probably getting, uh, certainly a, a good amount of fat from nuts and seeds and, you know, and olives and, you know, that Mediterranean sort of pattern that I, that's what I really push for cardiometabolic health. I think it has the best overall evidence for heart diabetes health, regardless of the otherwise macronutrient content. Um, I do think highly processed refined carbohydrates are probably not good. Um, in general, on the other hand, I think if you go too low carb, it's probably too restrictive and seems to, you know, maybe correlate with some of those, uh, you know, abnormalities also. Um, I think, you know, there's something to say about some saturated fat and dietary cholesterol being part of the process of, uh, of some of the, um, steroid, uh, pathways that we have for, for making, uh, some of these hormones. On the other hand, you know, very low levels of, um, cholesterol in our blood, our, our lipoproteins that carry cholesterol, generally don't uh, cause problems because most of our cells um, are able to make cholesterol or um, and, and make those hormones without the, the LDL um, uh, passing it on. But LDL does transport. I mean, LDL and HDL do transport the cholesterol to be used and, and, and create some of these hormones. So, um, <clears throat> so I would say a, a big thing is to not be too extreme. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be extraordinarily restrictive with carbs necessarily, but, but I often prescribe trying to get your carbs from vegetables, fruit, legumes, and not necessarily, uh, processed starchy carbs, but that's also part of my, um, uh, my patient population. You know, a lot of them have the metabolic syndrome diabetes. So I'm really, we're really trying to cut down on, on some of the carbohydrate load that they're getting and, and, um, and help them lose weight and, and be good for their uh, insulin resistance and their and their lipids and, and health. So an athlete probably is going to have a higher carb, maybe a lower fat diet. So bodybuilders often do better with that. Um, you might be able to speak to that uh, with personal experience and, and with your coaching experience. Um, I think generally, uh, you know, athletes and bodybuilders will cut down on the fat more um, due to the maybe the muscle sparing effects of carbohydrate and the, you know, the energy and and all that stuff. Um, what do you think on that? Just your opinion. Is that, is that kind of right from, yeah, I mean, I, I think from just from a performance aspect and, and, and I suppose in a kind of bodybuilding term, not being too flat where you're just completely uh, glycogen depleted. Um, and you'll know as a wrestler, you need, you need that, uh, have that glycogen to be able to perform better, you know, and just getting overall training volume in. I think that not going too low on fats where you're, you're so uh you're so deficient where you, you don't even have enough fats for your essential fatty acids but 
um at the end of the day i think it's just really down to personal preference and and you'll probably agree with me on that one once there's a balanced diet and the adherence is the the most important thing getting somebody to 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 maintain some form of calorie deficit especially yeah yeah i mean this gets back to our you know our talk on obesity and, and dietary therapy and you know oh yeah it's all pretty much every fad diet you see can work and we can use these as tools for for patients but i always individualize and like i said i push more of a little mediterranean spin to it but it has to be personalized um absolutely if they want to do keto great i'll try to get them to be a little bit more mediterranean keto if they want um if they want to do some intermittent fasting that's great i can't do it because i get hangry um mm-hmm. but uh, but it's a tool you know if you would have asked yeah. me five years ago i would have said eh, that doesn't sound right but um it's been studied and it and it and it works for especially for obesity um low fat low carb you know all these different things paleo whatever um we can we can personalize all these different things to um to try to be reasonable though that's the key not drinking butter um <laughs> uh that's not reasonable in my opinion <laughs> stuff like that yeah I, I actually recently interviewed a guy who who counted his calories so he made sure he's in a calorie deficit but all he ate for 100 days was uh ice cream and whey protein and he lost 30 pounds sure improved (laughs) he improved his uh you know his his uh, blood markers his his cholesterol levels and yeah he he obviously felt like crap he said he had no motivation no energy but um, you know it (laughs) it can be done yeah probably not the best way to do it although yeah you know (laughs) one could argue that whey protein and ice cream probably not the worst things in the world to be honest to to be eating i mean but there's the guy who did the twinkie diet you know that's probably the yeah. worst thing to eat and lose weight that's not a healthy way to do it but you know if it if he probably got some benefits just from the weight loss but um but probably not the type of benefits i would want my patients to get yeah um in terms of the overall like lifestyle habits right. um but but carl i want to come back a little bit to, to what we touched on briefly on um you know manipulating hormones within the physiological range because mm-hmm. i i have some clients and i know young guys who come to me that they're very heavily invested in their their health and they want to always improve and they want to build as much lean natural muscle as possible and they they might have get a, a testosterone check done it's actually quite popular in the last two three years we get these home testing kits i don't know yeah. what your opinions are on those i i wouldn't spend your money on those um i i mean i wouldn't trust them i don't i don't know that they're validated if they're home tests that probably means they're using saliva um, and, uh, I don't, is that the case? Do you know the people are you doing can actually, they're doing blood? Yeah, you, you actually, you can send them off to a lab. So there, uh, there's a few different, uh, companies now where they'll, they'll get a little vial of blood where you, a finger prick or so on, and, and you'll send it. And I, I assume that it's assessed in a, in a university hospital somewhere or something like that. And you'll, you can get like your, they have like a men's sports performance or your thyroid panel or, uh, you know, different, um, hormone kind of yeah. bundles that you can, you can get. But, but I, I mean, the, the real reason that I, I'm asking this is, you know, let's say that a, a young man, let's say in his twenties, mm-hmm. he, he will get his testosterone and, or, you know, free testosterone or overall testosterone and he feels normal. And I think he kind of briefly touched on this, but he feels normal and, but he, he feels like it's a little bit low, even though it's in the natural range. Maybe yeah. it's 300, 300 uh, nanograms per deciliter. And he's, he's looking at these other guys and saying, well, I'm trying to get it to a thousand because I think right. that I'll build more muscle then. Is that, is there any truth to that? Because even personally, I, I've, I got my, I actually got my testosterone tested when I started my contest prep because mm-hmm. I want to get it done at the end to see yeah. the, the drop. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was actually, I was feeling fine, a lot of energy, strong, mm-hmm. but it was, it was, 
low um it was actually quite low but in the normal range so i wasn't worried about it and because i know that there's uh, acute effects i could have had yeah. bad sleep what, or whatever exactly but what was it by the way do you remember exactly uh, i think it was something like 250 nanograms per deciliter so oh, it was really? quite near the low end that's, but that's, I, I felt yeah. normal my libido was normal <clears throat> strength like yeah. i've even been accused of being on steroids and my, yeah, like, right. my testosterone Same. is really yes. low so i guess there's more going on than just exactly. what people think is <clears throat> testosterone you know it's it, it, testosterone yeah. Is, is something like from the, the 90s or the 80s where we think that that's all that matters. Yep. But um, I, I think there's a lot more coming out to, oh, to, yeah. to show that maybe that's not all that's going on with building muscle. <laughs> Absolutely. You just hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's it's so much more complicated. And by the way, yeah, t- testosterone is a very individualized thing when it's when it's healthy that that normal range um you know 300 could be normal for us which yeah every time again i've done it for academic purposes in 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 residency and and fellowship and and maybe part of it's because we generally eat well we stay pretty lean um and and sometimes we're in a you know caloric deficit or whatever but it's it's always kind of been on the lower end of normal too and i thought well that's interesting but right zero symptoms so we have no evidence of clinical hypogonadism no low libido you know morning erections are normal shavings normal uh, muscle mass obviously normal to the point where people think we're taking extra testosterone um you know so so it 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 really does go to show that we treat people not numbers and so you might have and first of all by the way you have to check your testosterone at essentially like 8 a.m while you're fasting otherwise it, it means nothing um and so that's another thing for people who are doing these home tests. Again, I never would recommend people just getting labs on themselves because it always causes more problems than good, um, especially if they don't have symptoms. But um, but it has to be done first thing in the morning after a good night's sleep, fasting, um, to, to even get a, uh, an idea of it. And then it could be, it can vary um, for any individual. There's a lot of uh, inter-individual variability, intra-individual variability, and uh, yeah, number doesn't define you. And uh, you know, 800 in the morning could be normal for one guy, 300 could be normal for another guy, and then uh, they fluctuate anyways. So that's that's the idea when we look for you know pathologic hypogonadism is we you know we get it once and then we confirm it. Um, you know, we decide first of all, does the person have clinical evidence of hypogonadism? Is the testosterone low? And then we look at all the other factors. You know, we get the the pituitary hormones to see well is it a pituitary problem a, a testicular problem and then anything else that might be affecting it um, all the other you know some of the other hormones um, iron studies etc often get mris of the pituitary so so for the the guys that just want to like manipulate their hormones you know lifestyles medicine exer- appropriate exercises medicine um, if, if it's really low you would have symptoms um, of you know you, you might be losing muscle, have the low libido, low sex drive. You know, a 25-year-old guy should not um, lose his desire for uh, sexual activity. You know what I mean? Like, when that happens, that means there's something wrong. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, so, yeah, so outside of you, you actually actively knowing it and, and and when i was 21 i think i did my first uh, competition mm-hmm. and for, for whatever reason um i dieted just really really hard for a long yeah. time and lost mm-hmm. a lot of fat and yeah. i just i just remember that christmas i just didn't enjoy that was the first christmas where i didn't yeah. enjoy myself and i was yeah. like something something's going on here and mm-hmm. uh I, I actually got my testosterone checked and it was like outside of the normal range like oh, really sure. low yeah yeah Definitely. and i didn't i didn't know why because i'm actually leaner now i guess it was just the the aggressiveness of the diet yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. but i mean probably outside of that 
um like I, I hadn't got my testosterone checked up until this year and, and like you said more for just curiosity academic mm-hmm. kind of not non kind of uh, right. you know study-based academic research my own personal yeah, kind of sure. intrigue um mm-hmm. but uh, so so i guess then if we can't really change or manipulate or, or i mean it doesn't really make that much difference once we're feeling normal um do you think that most say or most uh, supplements for testosterone boosting or trying to you know manipulate your hormones are kind of futile or you know not really useless like taking zinc or taking zma yeah. or diaspartic acid or any of these yeah. testosterone so boosters there, there are so those things you just mentioned um along with like fenugreek um there are some studies that show that they they might work a little bit the the, the amount though the absolute amount i don't I'm not sure has any clinical relevance necessarily. Um, like, is it really going to help anybody if they're, if they're otherwise healthy and in the normal range and it's just we're showing some biochemical evidence that those might increase it? On the other hand, um, you know, some of those things aren't harmful. So, you know, when we talk about supplements, we have to decide, is there, first of all, is there any benefit? If there is benefit, that means it's a medicine, by the way. If we're actually doing something medicinal that's changing our biochemistry that means it's medicine so don't just think every supplement is safe so that also means you have to be aware of the side effects so then are the benefits outweighing any risk and most of those things you just mentioned um, probably the biggest risks are the money you spend on them to be honest Mm -hmm. Um, because there are some other benefits i mean like you know like the fenugreek i think there's some lipid benefits maybe in some glycemic benefits they're all probably marginal to be honest Um, I, i don't i don't take anything i take fish oil and I take vitamin D in the winter, um, and that's what I take. Um, I've taken creatine before. Um, I don't think I've ever tried any of those things. I think maybe maybe my brothers tried them. I mean, we're we're open to experimenting with some, you know, what what seem to be reasonably safe um, things like that. But I'm also to some degree a little bit. I'll call I'll call myself frugal, so I don't want to spend money on stuff that I know is I don't need it. You know, like it's not going to do much for me. I don't think. I don't know. I mean, I, but I'd be willing to try any of those things you just mentioned because I think uh, they're all reasonably safe. Maybe I tried the ZMA once because I've had some sleep issues in the past. I, I think maybe I did try that one. But yeah, I, th- yeah, I think what? as a as a lifter, it's like you're right a passage to spend uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of, of dollars <laughs> on supplements before yeah. you realize that um, I'm burning a, a, wa- yeah. a hole in my wallet here. Yeah, um, I was but always think... kind of lucky to get. I, for some reason, I always got stuff like people give me like their old creatine and stuff. So it's like seemed like I never really spent that much money on supplements because of that. Yeah, I think probably because you were you're already pretty pretty large and uh, muscular. People just gave yeah. you stuff. I, I think I was watching a documentary on Netflix recently where there was an NFL player said that uh, he got rich, and when he got rich, people actually start giving him more stuff. It's like the Matthews <laughs> law, you know: yeah. the rich get richer, the poor get poor. Oh my um, gosh. But, uh, but I think we're pretty much coming up on time and um, I just have a final question for you. So sure. what kind of, uh, if you had, say, uh, three or four tips to, to with all your experience in endocrinology and, and working with people hands-on on a daily basis, what three or four tips would you give to somebody that is looking to maximize or optimize their hormones so that they can build muscle, um, feel better, look better, and just have an overall better quality of life? So I think, you know, the, the real key concepts are personalizing uh, your habitual lifestyle plan. Um, I would really emphasize sleep hygiene. Sleep is, is the unsung hero. It's very important. Um, 
obviously anyone listening to this knows you have to get in your workouts, but I'd also be careful about overtraining. So, you know, making sure you're doing your, um, uh, you know, giving your muscles uh, appropriate rest periods, you know, that periodization that we talk about, but going hard um, uh, when you get the time, I, you know, with your workouts, I would, I prefer people to do a little bit higher volume, maybe not, not overtraining, but higher volume, not so much, you know, the three reps and four minute rest periods, but lower rest periods, higher volume for overall metabolic health, um, but also not, you know, overtraining to the point of feeling exhausted because then that's going to work against you right um, and then the same with nutrition i would avoid extremes i would for most of the people listening to this for the most part i would focus on the quality over the quantity at first um, you know eating lots of vegetables legumes fruit um, if you're going to eat you know starchy carbs getting it from you know appropriate sources like say potatoes sweet potatoes oatmeal um, that sort of thing um, and, uh, but then getting, you know, your lean proteins in from fish, chicken, lean beef, preferably not necessarily the, the fatty meats, um, where we can get some adverse effects and I, and, and don't drink sugary beverages. On the other hand, don't drink fatty beverages like, like uh, bulletproof coffee. I would, <laughs> I would advise against that. Um, but, um, but get your fat from nuts and seeds and olives and, and fish and, 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 and for most people probably not being too restrictive on, you know, reasonable sources of different types of saturated fats like cheeses. You know, we have evidence that dairy is probably healthy and then you're getting some of those short chain uh, saturated fatty acids that maybe have different health benefits, but it's from a it's from a source of food that, you know, probably has more health benefits than than harm. Um, but, you know, maybe a little bit of fatty meat once in a while, probably we would advise avoiding um, uh processed meats we those are probably the the ones that we know are probably not healthy um and and not being too restrictive uh for some treats once in a while you know a treat is a treat if you do it every day it's not really a treat it's just kind of part of a crappy diet but you know if you have a little dark chocolate every day you know with your nuts or even some regular chocolate once in a while or some ice cream once in a while um, that's probably all reasonable and then if you do need to lose weight obviously we've got to look for areas of, of cutting out some of the energy but I think quality diet is, is important for most of the people that are listening to you. Um, and then, uh, you know, getting in hard workouts, but appropriate periodization, rest, not overtraining, and, and really emphasizing the sleep. Thanks so much for that. So uh, basically what you're saying is that I can go and have uh, cheeseburgers for dinner tonight. <laughs> yeah, especially if you make your own. You know, when we yeah. eat burgers, I like to have, you know, a little bit of it, these low-carb thin buns and you know we we i used to do really lean burgers um but you know what now we, we don't do it as often we're like you know what if we're going to have a burger we're just going to get regular beef yeah. and we're going to enjoy the burger um but our steaks are usually pretty lean i'll tell you but yeah <laughs> if you're going to do it do it do it hard right but, uh, to some degree yeah, yeah. you gotta you gotta so, enjoy life too yeah. Thanks so much, Dr. Carl Ndalski, for coming on today. So where can people go and find more about you? So um, I, I do have a Facebook page. It's just uh, Dr. Carl Nadolsky. Uh It's my Facebook page, and that's essentially the same as my Twitter and Instagram handle. It's just at Dr. Carl Nadolsky. Um, and then uh, we do have a website, uh, www.docswholift.com. Um, it's not the most updated site all the time, but it has some of the stuff we've talked about in the past. Um, and if anybody needs any, 
uh, endocrine help. I, I practice uh, mostly in Holland, Michigan, uh, based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, Well, thanks so much, Carl. I'll put all those in the show notes. And again, appreciate you coming on to talk to us today. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Carl Nadolsky. As I said in the beginning, I did learn a lot from this episode and I found it very intriguing. I really like to learn about this kind of stuff and hormones and everything like that. Most of the time, it's probably not worth stressing over if you just get your body in shape or getting the good help. But one thing I do like to, or one thing, one reason why I do like talking to people like Carl is that he's got an insight into like the area of bodybuilding and competitive sports. Whereas you've talked to endocrinologists or just general doctors like general practitioners they often will tell you to do things that go against your goals so we know that in natural bodybuilding it's quite evident that if you get really really lean you're going to mess up your hormones or suppress your hormones but it will only be acute or at least for a couple of months and they'll come back to normal whereas if you went to a normal doctor they just tell you never to compete again and obviously that's never going to happen so it's great to get on guests like carl and if you did or you do want to learn more about Carl and his work, I'll leave all of his social media profiles, his website, etc. in the show notes or the description and you can find out more there. And if you have any questions regarding this podcast, please do feel free to just leave a comment or reach out to me. You can get me on my email or you can get me on my DMs on Instagram. But other than that, please do comment, subscribe and leave a rating and review. That would be very much appreciated. But other than that, I will chat to you in the next episode when we have on more great guests.